0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. If you're brand new with New Life, a special welcome. My name is Kevin. I'm our lead pastor, and I'm going to be guiding us through our journey together today. And if you're brand new, or if you've missed a few weeks, I want to catch you up. We're in the series that we're calling Friending, and the idea of friending is simply this— We believe, as we read through the Bible, as we look at experience, that the the men and women that you and I choose to link arms with and to walk through life with, they shape our lives. They have a profound impact on our lives. So much so that I've been saying for the last six weeks or so, if you show me your friends, the people you link arms with, the people that you walk through life with, if you show me your friends, I can show you your future. I can show you the direction that your life is going to go. Because our friends— they shape the impact that we have in life, in our family, in our work, and they shape the direction that we go in our life. And right now we're in phase two of this friending series because it was so good, I just couldn't stop. So so we've got two more weeks of phase two, and phase two is simply this. Friends are good, and God designed us not just to have friendships, but to have intentional friendships and in small groups of people that we call life groups, these communities of faith that that are sharing life together, that are exploring the implications of God in everyday life. Friendships that become partnerships that we link arms with, that send us in the direction that that we believe that God is guiding us to go. Pastor Ron is is, uh, is fond of saying, we go further, faster, together. And that's the idea behind life groups, is that we go further in life, faster. And by the way, we believe it's a lot more fun when we do it together in community. So we're talking about intentional community for these next few weeks. And I'm so excited. Next week, I've got a sermon planned, and uh, sometimes— I get I get creative and I make myself laugh because I sit in front of a computer writing sermons all day. And next week's sermon, as we wrap up this whole thing, to pull it all together, uh, the sermon is titled this, check out that body, check out that body. And that's all I'm going to leave you with right now. I thought it was so funny that I laughed to myself out loud. If you're raised in the church, you have some idea where we're going with that. Check out that body. I thought it was so funny. Not only did I laugh out loud, I also walked into the lobby, into our hallway where our, our staff are, and I said, you guys, you guys. I just wrote the sermon for a week from Sunday. It's called Check Out That Body. Isn't that hilarious? And they rolled their eyes at me. Because it was so funny. That's why they rolled their eyes at me. So just get ready for next week. You're not going to want to miss it. Well, as we dive in today, I want you to think back to a time in life when you really, deeply, truly pursued someone or something. When you pursued, I mean, like, chased after someone or something. Did you get that in your head? I want you to think back. It was the year of our Lord, 1998. I was a senior in high school. I was on leadership at our high school, and we got invited to a student leadership conference at the Rival High School. And so I showed up in my 82 Ford Bronco with my Letterman's jacket on to Upland High School. It was only about 90 degrees, so it seemed like a good idea at the time. And I walked on to the rival high school's campus with my letterman's jacket, looking as tough as I could. By the way, my mom always told me my letterman's jacket, she bought it big so I could grow into it. It still doesn't fit. Don't buy big. So I walked on looking as big as I could, and I felt like I was going on to enemy territory. You know the feeling when you walk onto the rival high school. Who's, who's going to get me? Who's gonna, I'm surveying the land, you know, trying to figure things out. And I walk into to the student leadership room, and the first person I see is a girl named Jen. She is the head cheerleader for the rival high school. Okay, she was so far out of my league, we weren't even playing the same sport. Okay? But I immediately had a crush on this girl, Jen. And so I spent the entire day, they were talking something about leadership. I don't really know. I was busy focusing on Jen, doing my recon, doing some research. She became the object of my pursuit. I had this crush on her. And I found out that Jen was in a local theater production of Greece. I know what you're thinking. Well, 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 well ooh, tell me more, tell me more. I will tell you more. I will tell you more. I went and saw Greece more times than I would care to admit. I mean, it was embarrassing the amount of times I saw Greece. I could recite the lines. I knew all the parts. I knew when she came on, that's when I had to pay attention. And every time I would take her a flower or some chocolate or something, a note I had written, just trying to get her to pay attention to me. Because again, she was so far out of my league, but by about the sixth or seventh time at Greece, she had two options, restraining order or go on a date with me. She chose date. She was the object of my affection. I had one goal. I had one goal. To get this girl from the rival high school, the head cheerleader. It's like, are you kidding? To go on a date with me, with me. And eventually I wore her down and and she did. But I want you to think back to a time when you really deeply pursued someone or something. Maybe it was an education and, and you were the first one to go to college in your family and you pursued that dream, you pursued that goal. Maybe it's a job. You went for the interview and you made the follow-up calls and the follow-up emails and you got yourself ready so you could, you could get that job. Or maybe it was a puppy when you were a kid and Christmas was coming and you promised your mommy, Mommy, that's all I'll ever ask for for Christmas. I'll never want anything else again if you just give me my puppy or my, my Red Rider BB gun. She said, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. Maybe it was a girl. Maybe it was a guy. But I was thinking, there's one thing that all of those have in common. When you and I pursue something... It becomes the singular focus of our mind. and we, we strive to attain it. We work hard to get it. It's, it becomes the thing that we want more than anything. And so we try to prove ourselves worthy of this thing, whether it's a, a, a girl or a guy or a puppy. That's why you say, Mom, I swear I'll, 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 I'll feed the puppy every morning and I'll, I'll pick up the poop every afternoon and I'll take it for a walk every night. And, and, and your dad's just sitting there thinking, Well, I get a dog now. I'll be taking it for walks, I'm preaching. But here's what I've noticed over the years, that human nature is such that when we want to pursue something, we put all of our energy into it, trying to get its attention, trying to grab it, trying to grasp for it, and then we translate that into the church world. See, we come to church, and and we, we see something different about the people that we're rubbing shoulders with, and we decide, I want to pursue God. There's, there's something out there. There's a deity out there. There's a, there's a, maybe you think, a higher power. There's something, and as I come to church, I realize that something is God, and, and is Jesus Christ, and so we decide if I'm going to pursue God, I need to prove myself to God. I need to work hard for God. I need to strive to attain for God. I need to, I need to make deals with God. God, if you, if you answer this prayer, I swear I'll never ask for anything again. God, if you, if you just give me that thing I want, I'll never, I'll, never, I'll never do that other thing again. We try to prove ourselves to God because we get a sense that there's something there. We get a sense that God is somehow out there when we come to church, but he's real, but he's out there. And we don't want to leave him out there. We want him to be in here. And so we strive to get God's attention. We call to him, we we sing to him, we do things for him just to get his attention. But as I read the Bible from cover to cover, you know what I realize? I realize we've actually got the story backwards. See, the Bible is a story of not people trying to pursue God. The Bible is this great, amazing story of a God who's pursuing people. Not like a, a teenage kid who's got a crush on a girl, but more like a heavenly father who's, who's looking for a child who's run away, and, and he's out, and he's, he's opening doors, and he's looking through the back alleys, and he's putting posters up, and he's calling to his child saying, come back, come back, because God is a God who loves us, and God is a God who just wants to to draw us close to himself. And here's the great thing about the Christian God. He's unique from any other deity out there, because the God of the Bible is the only God who who doesn't expect us to try to pursue him. He's a God who comes after us and pursues us. And if you're going to get excited about anything today, this is a good time to get excited, because God, God is a God who pursues you who loves you like a a perfect heavenly father who's chasing after his kids, saying, come to me, and then our response is simply to be sensitive to God's pursuit and follow him. We are the object of God's affection. He's not some distant deity who we have to yell and scream and make deals and prove ourselves in order to get his attention. It's the other way around. He is wooing us and calling us and loving us and going to watch hours of school plays and Greece performances simply to get our attention. And today what I want to do is I want to spend some time exploring the life of a young man in the Old Testament of the Bible who spent his entire childhood pursuing God, thinking that he had to prove himself to God, to show that he was worthy to God, chasing after God. Until one night when God opened himself up and actually showed this young man that God the whole time was pursuing him. The man's name is Samuel and we're going to pick up the story where he's a teenager, but you need to know something about Samuel. Samuel was like raised in the church. He's a he's a cradle God follower. In fact, when he was a preschooler, like maybe 2 or 3 years old, a toddler, his mom gave him to a priest named Eli and said, you raise him. And there's a whole backstory, you can read about it in 1 Samuel all the way through. Gave him to a priest who was the the religious and political leader of the nation of Israel at that time. Gave him to a priest named Eli and said, you raise him to serve and know and love God. And so Samuel spent his entire life pursuing God, learning about God, chasing after God. Until one night when God revealed the fact that he'd been pursuing Samuel the whole time. And this is where we'll pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 3. It says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare, And there were not many visions. See, God had become an afterthought to the people in their daily lives. It was like, well, yeah, he's he's there, but he's more like culturally there. He's more like Christmas and Easter there. He's not really there on a regular basis. And here's the thing we have to understand about God. God is a gentleman. And so while God will pursue us, he will never force himself on us. Because he's too much of a gentleman for that. So God was there. He was calling. He was seeking people to himself. And yet the people... Weren't turning, and God wasn't going to force himself. So it says the word of the Lord was rare. But then one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, he was lying down in his usual place. He was getting ready for bed, and the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel, this teenage boy, was lying down in the house of the Lord. So there's these two guys, this old priest Eli and this teenager Samuel in the house of God, where the ark of God was. And then the Lord said to Samuel, and I want you to, to underline that phrase, circle that phrase, put an emoticon next to that phrase, whatever you have to do to remember that phrase, because we're going to come back to it like four more times. The Lord God called Samuel. And Samuel, he answered, here I am. And then he ran to Eli and he said, well, here I am, Eli, you, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Are you kidding me? It's bedtime go back to bed, lie down. So he went and he laid down. Verse 6, again, you want to circle underline this next phrase, again, the Lord called Samuel, Samuel. Samuel got up and he went to Eli and he said, here I am, Eli. You called, you called me. He said, my son, I did not call you Go back to bed. And I, I picture like a, uh, like a toddler who doesn't want to go to sleep on Christmas Eve or like a six-year-old, you know, running in. Hey, did you call me? Hey, is it morning time yet? It's like, what makes you think it's morning time? It's dark outside. Go back to bed. No one's calling you. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. So he said, go back, lie down. Verse 7, and Samuel, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. We're going to come back to that too because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now, we have a hard time doing this, but I want us to try for a second. Try putting yourself in Samuel's shoes. You're a teenage boy. You're living in the house of God. You're living in the church with this old priest named Eli whose eyesight is failing, who has a hard time getting around in the evening. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, you're going to bed, and you hear someone call out your name. What do you think is happening? You think, the priest must need me. He can't get up. He's he's hurt himself. I don't— He's hurt himself. I'm not going to say it. He's hurt himself. He's fallen and can't get up. I don't know. I don't know. I said I wouldn't say it. And, and so Samuel does what you and I would do. The Lord calls out, Samuel, Samuel. He's startled. He gets up, running into his mentor. and he says, here I am. What do you need, Eli? And Eli's an old man going blind, trying to get some sleep. The guy's like, what I, what I need is for you to get out of my room. What I need is a little peace. I'm not calling you. Go back to bed. And then a second time, the Lord calls out, I don't know if it was 10 minutes or an hour or two hours later in this evening, but we can imagine Eli's falling back to sleep. A second time, this teenage boy comes running in. What do you need? He's like, my son, what I need is some sleep, man. Go back to bed. And Sam's, he's sitting there scratching his head, and he's, He's trying to figure out what's going on because he heard someone call him. But he doesn't know who it was. He knew someone was calling, but he didn't know God was calling. And verse 7 tells us why he didn't know. Because Samuel did not yet know the Lord, verse 7 says. He didn't yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. Samuel had spent his entire life learning about God. And yet he didn't know God. He knew more about God and about the Old Testament uh, stories of God and, and pictures of God than anybody in the ancient world probably, maybe with the exception of Eli and a few other priests. He knew more about God than almost anybody. You don't want to go Bible trivia against this guy. And yet, he did not know God. He couldn't even tell when God was speaking to him. I'm going to tell you something that's going to be hard to believe. I, I matured late in life. I, I hit puberty about a month ago, which, I don't know if you noticed, I grew a beard about a month ago. I was like, hey, I, I hit." it's very exciting. But when I was young, I had this real high, squeaky voice. Like, it sounded like a, a, a preteen girl for most of my life. Now you can see why I had to go to Greece multiple times. And this high, squeaky voice, you know, and... Every once in a while, a telemarketer would call up looking for Virginia Finkbeiner, my mother, and they knew my mother lived at the house. They knew all about my mother. They knew that she was Mrs. Finkbeiner. Virginia lived it at our address, and so they would call up, and I would answer the phone. I'd say, hello, and they'd say, hello, Mrs. Finkbeiner. This is John from canweoffendyourson.com. I'd just like to talk to you for a few minutes, and I would say, this isn't Mrs. Finkbeiner. Hold on, and they put the phone down. I'd walk in, oh, I'm, they say, I'm sorry, little girl. I said, Oh, no, no, it's not a little girl either. Go get my mom. See, here was the thing the telemarketers knew all about my mom. They knew all about her, where she lived, her demographic, what she liked, what she would want to buy, but they did not know the sound of my mom's voice. So they were easily confused when they heard a young, extremely mature, deep sounding voice answer the phone. And in the same way, Samuel knew all about God, and yet he could not, he could not tell when God was speaking to him. And, and just like Samuel, did you know it's possible for us to spend our entire lives knowing about God, but not knowing God? And that's a great tragedy because God is not content. And this is our first note. God is not content with us simply knowing about him. This is the great and wonderful story of our creator is that God pursues us Until we come to know him. He's not content with us knowing about him. He pursues us until we get to know him. He didn't stop calling Samuel the first time. He didn't stop calling Samuel the second time. And I get up here and I preach and I'm so excited because God did not stop calling me the first time or the second time or the third time. He didn't stop chasing any of you the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time. He keeps on pursuing us because he's not content being a distant deity out there that we have a one day a week fling with. He wants to have a relationship with us every single day of our lives. And so he pursues, and he calls, and he woos until we just wake up to him. Verse 8 says, a third time the Lord called Samuel. Circle that, underline it. We're getting excited. He called him a third time. Samuel got up because he just could not figure it out. And he ran in and said, here I am, Lord, to Eli. You called me. You called me, and Eli then figured it out. Eli realized that it was the Lord calling the boy. So in verse 9, Eli says to Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you again, say, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So Samuel went and he laid down in his place. And the Lord came and he stood there, calling as the other time Samuel, Samuel. And I wonder, I don't know for sure, but I'm, I'm assuming, I'm guessing that the Lord might have been standing there the entire time because it says he, he spoke like he did the other times. I wonder if the whole time. God was standing there in Samuel's presence, just trying to speak to him, and Samuel ran right past him every time. He said, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Samuel had spent his entire life chasing after God, but on that night, he realized that God was actually chasing after him and it changed everything. See, Samuel, even though God was chasing him, Samuel had no idea that it was God. Did you catch that? Three times, Samuel had no idea it was God. He ran to Eli, assuming it was his mentor that was calling him. He would, I don't know if he would have figured it out, except that God used Eli to help Samuel figure out what was going on. See, Eli took all the evidence as Samuel ran in one time, two times, three times. Eli took all the evidence, and all of a sudden, it dawned on him, maybe it's God calling, because Eli knew, I'm here, you're here, and God is in his house. God is here, and if I'm not calling you, and you're not hallucinating, then it must be God. He took all the evidence, everything he knew about God, and he said, Samuel, I'm guessing God is trying to get your attention right now. I'm guessing God is trying to speak to you. And then Eli gave Samuel a next step to follow God. And just like Samuel, God is always pursuing us. He's always chasing us. He's always trying to get our attention. Why? Because he loves us, and he's not content being out there and we don't have to prove ourselves to him for him to come and be with us and share life with us. He just wants to come and be with us because he created you, he knows you, he loves you, he sees you, and he wants to be with you. So God is always chasing us, but sometimes like Samuel, we can't tell it's God, and, and that's why God gives us intentional community. That's why God gives us life groups, because one of the ways that God pursues us is by using insight from other people— And that's our big idea for the day. One of the ways that God wants to speak to you and pursue you and chase you and grab you is by using the insight of other people, of a community of people who's seeking after him. Samuel couldn't make heads or tails of what was happening. He shared the evidence with Eli. He said, someone keeps calling me. I think it's you, Apparently it's not. You're getting frustrated. Eli took the evidence and said, it's God. God's trying to get your attention. Next time he calls, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And so Samuel laid down, and he did that exact thing, and that night changed Samuel's life forever. He became arguably the most famous priest in the entire ancient Jewish world. He anointed the first two kings of Israel. God used him to do some powerful stuff. That night, that his friend gave him insight into what God was doing that night that he gathered together with community of people who were seeking after God together and said, help me figure out what God's trying to do right now. That night changed his life forever. And this is where life groups are such a gift to us. And and this is why I'm telling everybody, get into a life group. Be with a group of people because, listen, there are times in our lives when we don't know what God is up to, and yet we know that God is up to something It could be that you're in the midst of a jobs transition and you just don't know what God's trying to do right now, but you know God's got to be there somewhere because we look at the Bible and we see he's always pursuing us. It could be that you're in the midst of a difficult parenting stage and you don't know how to navigate the parenting waters, but you know God must have some insight because he loves you and he loves your kids. It could be that you're going through tragedy right now, loss, and you know God is there, but you can't figure out why God would allow this to happen could be that you have a hard time understanding what God's trying to say to you about some aspect of your life. And if we, if we believe deeply, and, and I do believe this, and I hope you do too, that God, God loves us individually, that he loves you. And if we believe that God is always trying to speak to us, always trying to get our attention, always calling to us, that he's not off in the distance and we have to bang a drum to get his attention, he's present with us trying to get our attention. If we believe that, then our job is simply to be sensitive to what God is doing. So, so we get into life group, and we join with a group of people, and we say, this is what's going on in my life. I can't figure out what to do with work. Things are, are, are rough with the kids. I'm trying to understand what God wants me to do with my life, with my education. We say, can you help me make heads or tails of what God's trying to do? Because I believe God is trying to do something. I believe God is speaking to me. I just, like Samuel, I can't figure out what exactly he's trying to say. And then what if we went to our life groups and we said that, and we just expected God to move, expected God to answer, expected God to use community, use people to speak into our lives, just like, just like God used Eli to speak into Samuel's life? And what if, what if every week we walked into life group and we simply said what Samuel says, "Speak, God, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm not even chasing. You're the one chasing me. I, I, I'm, I'm just listening." And then we walked into our life group and we said, I, I believe God might use you or you or you to show me what he's trying to say to me. What if every time we opened up our Bible in life group with a community of people, we believed God was going to speak, speak through his word and speak through his spirit and then, and then speak through people to us? I think it would change everything. I think it would potentially be the thing for some of us that God uses to get our attention that God uses to wake us up. And and here's why I wanted to talk about this today. And we're going to get more into this next week. And and check out that body. That is just a funny sermon title. We're going to get more into this next week, how that plays out. But I wanted to do a a primer on it today because of this. We live in in such a community, in such a a society— that with all the great things it has, one of the things that, that it does is we're very politically correct and we don't want to step on anybody's toes and we never want to speak into anybody's life. But what if, what if just in this safe group of people and these friends in our life group, these 10 or 12 people, what if we just said, you know what, I'm going to trust you enough to share my life with you, to open my life up to you and to allow you to speak into my life. There's safety in community because you can't get too far off track when you've got a group of people looking at the Bible and sharing together and praying together. What if we said, I'm just going to open myself up and expect that God's going to speak to me and that he might actually use you to speak to me? I think it, I think it would change everything. Here's how I know that God is constantly and consistently pursuing us. Because Jesus, Jesus left heaven and came to earth to show us God the Father. To show us God's heart, and Jesus was fully God and fully man. And He walked on this earth to show us that God will stop at nothing to pursue us with His love. And then Jesus gave His life on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Because before that, we were separated from God by this thing called sin. It's those thoughts or words or actions that are hurting us and that are hurting other people and that are separating us from God. But God pursued us. He loves us so much that he left heaven and came to earth and gave his life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be forgiven, so that we could know our heavenly Father who was doing a rescue mission from heaven to earth, like a father looking for a a son or a daughter who had run away. This is how I know God is chasing us, because Jesus showed us God the Father. And I want to ask you today, do you know God? Like a loving Heavenly Father who is pursuing you and speaking to you and calling to you. Do you know him like that? Or is he still a distant deity that you have a one-day-a-week fling with? Because God's not content with being distant. It's not because he wants, to, he wants to crush you. Remember, God's a gentleman. He's a gentleman, but he wants to, he wants to share life with you and walk with you because he loves you. And we're going to respond right now doing something that I just absolutely love. Respond to a God who pursues us in two ways. In the tables around the auditorium, we have little pieces of bread and cups of juice, and we're going to celebrate communion together. And if you're new to Christianity, communion is simply this. On the night before Jesus died on the cross, before he gave his life to pay the penalty for our sin, he gathered with his 12 closest friends, and he took bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body. It's being broken for you because I love you, and I'm trying to rescue you. You. And then he took a, a cup of wine, and we're going to use juice. And he said, this, this cup represents my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins to form a new relationship between you and myself. And he said, do this and remember my deep love for you, that I would stop at nothing to have a relationship with you. So in just a minute, the worship team's going to play, and I'm going to invite us to get up and walk to the tables and, and take communion and then come back and worship our God together. That's one way I want us to respond today. The second way is this. We're going to go into our time of baptism right now. And if you've never been baptized and you're planning on being baptized, if you're planning on being baptized, when the music starts, just come up. Pastor Ron will be over here. I'll be over here. Either of us would love to baptize you. If you have a friend who you want to have baptize you because they've been instrumental in your journey towards God, they can baptize you. We'd love to have that happen. But we want to help you get baptized today. But if you're here today and you've never been baptized and you sense that God is pursuing you right now, calling you right now, drawing you to himself right now through baptism, I want to invite you to get baptized today. And here's what baptism is. We put you in this water and then we lower you under the water, representing that you're dying to yourself in your old way of living. And then we raise you out of the water, representing a new life with God through Jesus Christ. It is the first command Jesus gave us. He said, once you come to know me and have a relationship with me, be baptized publicly declare to everybody, I'm not who I used to be. I'm a new creation who's been pursued by my heavenly father because he wants me and he loves me. And then we get to celebrate that baptism with you. And so if you're here today and you've never been baptized, but you sense God pursuing you now, I want you to come forward when baptism happens and and be baptized. And we have a change of clothes for you. We have a shirt for you. We have a, a towel for you. Uh, we'll take pictures so you can show your family. We'll do everything. And listen, if you're scared of, of water, I understand, but it's only like two feet deep, and we've never lost anybody. We always bring you back up. It's very quick, okay? Down. Up. And we have nurses and doctors in the audience, so you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Don't let it stop you. Some of you are thinking, yeah, I sense that God is pursuing me and wants me to be baptized, but, but I want my family to be here, or I want my friends to be here. I wasn't planning on it today. I'll, I'll do it someday. Can I tell you? someday is the greatest enemy of this day. If God's pursuing you today, don't wait for someday. We'll pray together, then we'll stand and worship, and I want to invite you as worship starts, go take communion, and if you're getting baptized, come forward to be baptized. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are a pursuing God, that you call after us because you love us, and that you are seeking to speak to each of us Out of your great love and guide and to lead us. And I ask, Holy Spirit, would you make us sensitive to your leading? And would you use communities, would you use life groups to be a place where we could speak into each other's lives in such a way that we might be able to more fully understand what it is you're calling us to? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.